0: In the late 1990s, the Archdiocese of Los Angeles decided to build a new cathedral to be called the Cathedral of Our Lady of the Angels. The artist John Nava was commissioned to decorate the stark concrete interior with a series of three large tapestry groups that had been woven in Flanders. The largest and most prominent of them were a series of 25 fresco-like tapestries along the north and south walls of the nave. They were called the Communion of Saints, and they depict 135 saints and blesseds of all ages, races, occupations, and vocations from all over the world. Among them are saints that we would expect to find, Saints Peter and Paul, Saint John the Baptist, Saints Augustine, Francis of Assisi, Thomas Aquinas, Dominic, St. Anne, and others whose names are familiar from the central Cycle of the Roman Liturgy. But there are others who are not so familiar. For example, Blessed Jurgis Matulaitis, the Bishop of Vilnius in Lithuania from 1918 to 1927. He was beatified by Pope John Paul II in 1987. Or St. Maria Natividad Venagas de la Torre, a Mexican nun who dedicated her life to serving the poor and the sick. She died in 1959. Blessed Lucia Kambang, a catechist who, with six other Thai nuns and a laywoman, were executed by the Thai police in 1940 for refusing to deny their faith, and St. Joseph Vaz, an Indian priest who is called the Apostle of Ceylon. These 135 saints represent an impressive list of proven holiness in the history of the church, but there is one saint who is curiously absent. That is the saint whose solemnity we are observing today, Saint Benedict of Nursia, the founder of an order of monks that take their name and their rule from him. When he died in the year 543, The last vestiges of the Roman Empire had almost completely collapsed from corruption within and invasion from without. Urban population had declined. The cities decayed. Learning and trade had almost completely disappeared. It was the beginning of what we've come to call the Dark Ages. This was the state of things when Benedict organized the first monastic community under what he called a little rule for beginners. He he did not invent monasticism out of whole cloth. What he did do was organize it around the essentials needed for a common life to flourish in an age of chaos. Among those essentials needed for the flourishing of a human life are clear lines of authority and accountability. You can go nowhere in the rule of St. Benedict that you do not encounter the person of the abbot. But the abbot, in Benedict's mind, is not the CEO of a small corporation. In chapters 2 and 64, he paints a portrait of the abbot as another Christ, the spiritual father of the community whose wise counsel and attentive management evoke mutual obedience and humble love. Where love does not exist, there can be no true human or true Christian community. St. Benedict spends a lot of time in this rule ordering the monastic day, in a measured rhythm of communal liturgy together with manual labor and reading. This is what the Cistercian monk, Father Michael Casey, calls creative monotony. It is the tranquility of order needed to produce a life necessary for in a calm and peaceful environment. This is the bedrock of that unique Benedictine vow of stability of life because life does not thrive in a chaotic environment. And finally, Benedict insisted that when monks are not working, they should be reading. Chapter 48 of the rule, called the Daily Manual Labor, is one of the crucial chapters of the rule because whether in the summer or the winter, the best times of the day are given over to reading texts. And to read them, monks had to learn to conserve them and write them. This was the beginning of the great monastic libraries that saved the Greek and Roman classics and the writings of the Church Fathers, not to mention the scriptures themselves. The monastic scriptoriums and the cloister schools that sprang up wherever Benedictine monasteries were founded were the origin of today's universities. Benedictine houses became islands of a particular kind of culture, a Christian culture, that in the words of Dom Jean Leclerc, Centered around love of learning and the desire for God. In this way and other ways, St. Benedict laid the foundation out of which Western culture would rise from the ashes of imperial Rome. And this is why Pope John, this is why Pope Paul named St. Benedict the patron of Europe in 1964, at a time when the West teetered on the brink of a new cultural collapse inaugurated by radical skepticism, moral relativity, and a slavish reliance on technological advancement. These are only a few reasons that why St. Benedict's absence from the Nava Tapestry is so inexplicable. In his book, After Virtue, the philosopher Alistair McIntyre suggests that the Western world has entered a new dark age of moral relevance that threatens the rise of a new barbarism, elements of which we see and read all around us and in the news. Toward the end of his book, McIntyre suggests that in the present crisis of our cultural fragmentation, we are perhaps waiting for another and possibly very different benedict, perhaps, but how will we recognize this new benedict if we fail to keep alive in our memories and imaginations the original benedict?